0: You'll get a 20% discount on your first order when you sign up for emails this week at bonecur.net. That's B-O-N-C-O-E-U-R dot net. And use the code BONECURCITYCAST20.
1: Today on CityCast Portland, we're talking about the Multnomah County Jail refusing to fully comply with last year's audit. More finger-pointing from our city leaders on who's responsible for a supposed crime wave, and ODOT's stark winter warning of stranded drivers and hazardous roads. Joining me on this week's News Roundup are KBU News Director, Althea Billings, and our very own executive producer, John Atariani. It's Friday, January 5th. I'm Claudia Meza, and this is What Portland's Talking About. Welcome, everyone, to the Friday News Roundup. Althea, John, thanks for being here. Hello, hello. Hi, good morning. If you're new to the show, welcome. Today is a day we break down some of the biggest local stories of the week. And before we jump in the news, I like to ask our guests an opening question, just so everyone listening can feel who they're dealing with here. If it's not too personal, I was wondering if you could share a New Year's resolution that you might have. If it's loosely related to Portland and Oregon, like, even better. Great, yeah,
2: I have one. It's not super related to Portland. and I also don't know if it totally qualifies as a resolution, but so you can you give me feedback on this. Okay. My resolution is this year I want to own a DVD player. For me, streaming is out. I'm over it. I I can't do it anymore. That's awesome. I need to buy a DVD player. And maybe it's more of like an agenda for the year than like, how Mm -hmm. am I going to personally change? But I'm going to personally become someone who owns a DVD player and presumably DVDs. I haven't gotten that far yet.
1: I love it. No DVDs, just a DVD player. Just,
2: Just, I I just have the capacity, but I do none of it.
1: (laughs) What about you, John?
0: I don't know what this says about me, but the very first thing that I thought of was how, okay, in Portland, we care a lot about transit. We're good at doing like antiquated, complicated things in ways that take way more steps than they need to. Mm -hmm. And we've been talking a lot in the past year about uh, transit on the river and the idea of the frog ferry so I'm going to put all my weight this year behind some sort of like an old-timey paddle boat on the river, like maybe <laughs> steam-powered. I'm just imagining like the big turning wheels, you know? Yeah. Uh, I'm not quite sure like what the steps are in between, but I want to see this happen this year in Portland.
1: <laughs> oh, and you're going to be a part of it.
0: I'm going to be the captain. I'm going to have a little hat and I'm going to drive the boat.
1: <laughs> that's, that's a really, what's the word? It's ambitious practical. (laughs) Well, that too. (laughs) Very practical. I I think mine is just to uh, get out more. Like I literally just wrote like to be outside because some days I seriously do not leave my house and that's kind of weird. So it's every day I'm going to go outside, which is so small. I'm (laughs) hoping that I can crush that one at least.
0: Well, maybe I can get mine going first, Claudia, and I can support you.
1: I mean, if there was a steamboat, I could go hang out. Take
0: a stroll down to the docks in St. John's and we'll pick you up.
1: Will there be snacks?
0: Uh, Oh, my gosh. Maybe. You don't
1: want to overpromise and underdeliver. Okay, sorry, John. I'm sorry. That was so silly of me to ask.
0: (laughs) I mean, this all seemed totally doable until the the snack angle came in.
1: (laughs) And you're like, wait, wait, I have to have a refrigerator? I don't understand. You could drag a cooler in the river.
0: Oh, damn you, OLCC.
1: (laughs) Oh, no, no, it's not going to happen now. All right. Well, <laughs> thanks, you guys. That was that was enlightening. Um, I hope everyone now understands who they're dealing with.
0: <laughs> All right.
1: Well, on to the news of the week. So, John, what's your story?
0: Yeah, this is from some reporting by Lucas Manfield over at Willamette Week. Uh, it sounds a lot more boring than it actually is. It is a story of competing Uh, PowerPoint presentations. (laughs) So uh, last year, there's this guy, Chuck French. He's a former Multnomah County prosecutor, and he put together this slide deck sort of looking at uh, trends in crime and the criminal justice system in Portland. Um, And it was not a very flattering picture. It said there's a shortage of cops, that case clearance rates have been going down, convictions have been going down. Um, so, this came out last year, actually. Uh, Renee Gonzalez, uh, city commissioner, picked it up, sort of spread it around a bit, but it started getting a lot more uh, attention this past fall because that's when Gonzalez, now a candidate for mayor, uh, sent it to the local public safety coordinating council. Um, And this is a group of like city and county and state leaders that are all looking at coordinating uh, the local criminal justice system and our policies and things like that. Well, uh, six days after that very unflattering sort of presentation came out, Multnomah County District Attorney Mike Schmidt came out with his own sort of rebuttal to it. I actually should say I'm not sure that Mr. Schmidt's was a slide presentation.
1: But how long was it? But
0: it was 65 pages. He had a (laughs) 65-page rebuttal sort of going through and saying why all of these things were not. Correct. Um, Mm -hmm. And, you know, I haven't actually gotten my hands on these presentations yet. Uh, Lucas, hook it up. We're curious. We know you got them. We'd love to see them. But he does do a lot of sort of breaking down what some of the point versus point Mm -hmm. issues were in these presentations. And I think they just say so much about uh, where we're at in Portland and what's going on with crime and the complexity of understanding where our criminal justice system is. And to me, it feels like a really good blueprint of what we're going to be debating over the course of this election year.
2: It's pretty funny, uh, you know, because there there is a certain energy, a certain emotion by that is implied by a 65-page rebuttal mm-hmm. that you know, they're just when have you had that 65 pages worth of, I'm going to respond to something that is maybe involving me and how I'm doing my job, you know? Every time we mm-hmm. get a
1: comment on Instagram. <laughs>
0: it's the, the emails that, that we that we write sometimes. Yeah, to yeah.
1: <laughs> no, Elthea, I completely agree with you. But what I find interesting uh, is that Mike Schmidt hired an outside analyst to basically fact check this like Chuck French uh, report. And weirdly, this isn't the first time the county has hired an outside analyst to try and debunk a Chuck French report. (laughs) Oh, really? (laughs) Really? Yeah. And here's the deal. Chuck spent 32 years in the Monoma County District's uh, attorney's office was a prosecutor. He was known for taking on the special projects at the county. And usually it dealt with deep dives and numbers. So when the county commission wanted to investigate a sheriff, let's say, it was Chuck who was assigned to the job. Or when the county, you know, the then county DA wanted someone to look at runaway jail costs Chuck, again, was the go-to person. So this isn't some, like, out-of-nowhere guy with theories, you know? And I got all this from, like, uh, Will- Willamette Weeks' Nigel Jayquist reporting. I went digging in the archives. So back in 2014, two years after he retired, Chuck French co-wrote his first independent report with a Clackamas County DA on how juvenile justice in Oregon just wasn't working because of our reforms. hmm because we weren't putting enough juveniles in jail. So this is a a philosophy he's had for a while. And he basically just wanted to say, hey, compared to other states, we don't look so good. We spend the most in juvenile correction, and yet we have the highest petty crime. And so could you imagine like your former employers just like fucking stop, you know?
0: (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> disgruntled ex-employee <laughs> energy yeah yeah, just like.
2: <laughs> yeah yes. the person that
0: used to work at your
2: job being like oh I didn't I wouldn't have done it like that we actually when I worked here we used this other th- kind of thing like yeah. do you know about that how yeah. long have
1: you been here yet <laughs> yeah yeah so with that just imagine at the straight shooter numbers guy having to sit back and watch like another justice reform advocate that doesn't philosophically align with his beliefs take over his old stompy grounds and mm-hmm. then you'll have a little bit of the fuel of like where we are but also again Chuck knows something. Like, he's not just, like, some dude who's just like, ah, put them all in jail. Like, you know, John, the way you said it, it just, like, I think really encapsulates where we are with uh, how we see crime in Portland.
0: Yeah, yeah. It's I mean, and this, I guess this is sort of the ramp up to the election. This is the process of creating a narrative of what these numbers mean, right? Nobody is disputing the, the figures that are in either of these reports. It's just how you interpret them. And I think that how you interpret them sort of has a lot to do with, like, how you look at cities and systems holistically, right? Like, so, for example, one of the things that uh, Lucas points out, there is this number, that the number of criminal cases filed in Multnomah County Circuit Court has gone down significantly. It used to be over 20,000. It was down to less than 7,000 in 2021. And, like, you could draw a million conclusions about why that is the case, What French's report says is that that's because uh, focusing on violent crimes, deprioritizing low-level property and drug crimes. But then Schmidt says that it's not his fault that the police are bringing him fewer misdemeanor cases and says that people should look at the issuance rate. So that's like the percentage of cases Mm -hmm. that are referred to his office by police that then the prosecutors choose to pursue which is at an eight-year high for felonies, is what he says. And, you know, you can sort of go down the list and say, here's the number. But, like, to interpret why that number is that way, um, you know, there's there's a lot of ways to spin it.
2: Yeah. One thing in this article that I thought was kind of funny was sort of the narrative of how commissioner Gonzalez had been trying to get this PowerPoint that Chuck French made out there. And he's shopping it around to every public official and every one of them sort of gives him this like, you know, if you're if you read it in passing, it wouldn't be like a cutting remark. But it seems like everybody kind of thinks he's full of it. Jessica Vega Peterson, like the head judge of Multnomah County, like everybody's like, so that's so interesting that you brought that up. It may or
1: may not be trustworthy or factual, but I love I would love to talk about it with you. Yeah. It again, I'm not like a Renee Gonzalez apologist, but I always feel for him because I feel like he's like the one dude who just like didn't get the memo with how everybody was deciding to govern. And he's like, no, (laughs) this way. And everyone's like, dude, like, we're like full force that way. So if we were to go this way, just know that would cost millions. (laughs) Like, we don't have the the infrastructure. We don't have the infrastructure for that. But I mean, as I just want to see what Chuck said, when he wrote his first report, he wrote, you know, if you could show me that not holding a kid accountable is actually better than holding him accountable, I'd be open to that. If it lowered crime rate here, which he's not seeing, you know, I would accept that, but that hasn't worked. And so I can just imagine a lot of people seeing it from that one lens, John, where they're just like, yeah, there's reasons for all this stuff, but guess what? Businesses are still getting broken into. This is still happening. Like, so Mm -hmm. I can see why they're just like, can we think of more options of more ways
0: Well, I would love to see more of this report. And like, I'm sure that this is far from the last time this year that we're going to be batting around these ideas. I think that it's going to continue to reach a fever pitch until at least the the May elections when uh, Schmidt comes up to figure out if he's going to get another term as the DA. All
1: right. Well, let's take a quick break here. And when we return, more news of the week.
2: Yeah, I was looking at two different articles, one from KGW, one from Willamette Week, following up on the Multnomah County Jail Audit from 2022. So right back in 2022, the county auditor found some things that are going wrong in Multnomah County Jails and made a bunch of recommendations of what to do about it. The main findings, right, was that black inmates face disproportionate discipline and use of force, and they're written up by deputies at much higher rates, like two times as much as is, is the the difference that the auditor came up with. And they also found that jails were significantly worse for people with mental health conditions and the outcomes kind of related to that. And so now, you know, we're in 2024. Feels weird to say. Looking back, how much of these recommendations have they actually worked on. There were 13 of them. Two of them are done. Seven of them are being worked on. Four of them, mostly about uh, disciplinary practices at the jail, actually haven't been started yet. And the kind of headline one that folks are kind of pointing at right now is that there was this recommendation to eliminate isolation as a punishment for inmates with mental health conditions, and that hasn't happened yet. And you know, other context that I think is important is that 10 people have died in Multnomah County jails yeah. in 20 in 2023 including three suicides so it's not like this doesn't have a consequence
0: i thought this was interesting because okay you know this this audit happened in april of 2022 um and the the points of what they needed to change were very clear but the timeline to me felt really quick to get those changes in place right there's a deadline in september of 2022 just a couple months later and then another deadline april of 2023 which was a year later and we compare that against what's been going on with like the portland police bureau which has been you know under consent decree with the federal government for like a decade i, I i'm just wondering <laughs> yeah. why they decided to have such a short window on implementation of some of these things it's like Was it deemed that these were easy fixes that they should be able to rectify quickly? Or was it the opposite, that these things were so egregious that they needed to be done with a sort of accelerated timeline? Um, Mm -hmm. Do you have a sense, Althea?
2: I think it's a little bit of both. And from that lens, it is... Arguably, kind of impressive what they have been able to accomplish. So the two of the recommendations that are completed already was expanding housing for inmates with mental health conditions. So there's 73 new specific beds at Inverness Jail that are related to that. And they were also able to revise their use of force code for people who are experiencing mental illness. Um, And then there's some training programs that are also in progress. Um, Deputies did get training from the National Alliance on Mental Illness. But there's uh, other ones that they're working on on race related bias and more informal solutions instead of like officially writing people up and stuff like that. But specifically, the ones that haven't been acted on have more to do with discipline. Mm -hmm. And so, I mean, I think that that is like a category that maybe we could read as this is a hard thing to change or this is a bucket that the sheriff's office is reluctant to poke at. Mm -hmm. There was a line in one of these articles uh, specifically about not eliminating isolation or cutting people's, you know, outside time uh, as punishment that the sheriff's office kind of said, maybe that's not our job to do. Maybe that's kind of out of our our scope of responsibilities to be thinking about that kind of stuff. And so they've,
1: they've declined. They've declined to work on that. So I think that's the answer there is that it's not that they didn't have enough time to work on it. They were just like, we're not going to do that which I think is very different. I think that's why possibly the auditor was like, hey, remember, you need to do these things. Remember when we identified all these problems and came up with solutions for you? You're just kind of saying no. So that's interesting. So I think that's the whole point. I think they're just like kind of steadfast and not doing that. I'm curious as to why, because I I feel like the the article didn't go really deep into that, but I'm just curious Mm -hmm. as to why they're like, no, we're not doing that. Because I feel like the the gut reaction is to be like, why are they haters of humanity? (laughs) Like, What is wrong with them? But I'm just like, well, what is their reason? Right. If there's alternatives,
2: I think would be part of it. One thing that was pointed out in one of the articles was that the audit did a survey of inmates about their conditions. And that's partially where this recommendation comes from, which is... I'm
0: sorry, I'm imagining this like a jail customer satisfaction survey. Like, <laughs> I mean,
2: how, would you, how would you rate
0: your lodgings? Oh like like you, get, you finish at a hotel. It's like, how yeah. was your check-in process?
2: Or when you go in an airport bathroom and they have those like smiley
1: face buttons
2: about how clean it
1: is. <laughs> Could you like the insult to injury? You're in jail and someone's like, can you just tell me how I'm doing? And you're just like, dude... I can't handle this right now.
2: (laughs) On a scale of one to five, how pleased are you with with, what's going on? Zero. I mean, I would be interested in what alternatives there are, but I think considering the new context that came along in 2023, right, because this is an audit from 2022, which is the sheer amount of deaths and suicides that happened in Multnomah County Jail, taking recommendations related to mental health seems pretty
0: important. Yeah. yeah, yeah. I was sort of poking around on this. I was like, well, how how big of a problem is that? Um, I found some data from the Bureau of Justice that said in 2011, 44% of adults in custody have a known mental health condition, you know, and I can only imagine that that has gone up considering everything yeah. that we're facing as a region. Yeah.
1: Has has the auditor given a new deadline for like, hey, this is when you need to get this stuff done that you're refusing to do at all? Or is this just the alarm that she's ringing and it's being reported on them? Like, hey, they're not doing things that we said they needed to do. I think she's more pointing
2: at it from from this
1: (laughs) (laughs) right now. Because now I'm just like, well, what's going to go next? Again, like I 100% agree that when I read the recommendations, I'm like, yeah, this is just like how to be a human to another human. Like, it just seemed like the basics of what a of what you know an institution should be providing for a, a person that they're holding.
0: The other thing I'm wondering too is like, is is this binding in any way? Right, like if the county jail system just doesn't implement these things, are there any consequences?
2: I think it would be up to the county government, but it's not it's not clear to me what that direct consequence would be from you know holding people accountable for the conditions in jails and I will say I happened upon this story by doing a little google of you know Multnomah County jails and what's been going on and there's like a headline every two weeks about some deputies on leave because they allegedly punched someone in the face or these deputies are being investigated for official misconduct because of people that died while they were on duty and this audit comes out and so it's not it's not painting a particularly
1: rosy picture
0: totally
1: yeah Yeah. well i hope they get that sorted (laughs) because
0: it's awful so so guys uh you 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 might not know this there are yelp reviews of jails no way (laughs) All right. So let, let me let me roll through. No, through no. A I few. want the
1: highest one. I want the highest so, rated. <laughs> going down the
0: list: uh, Multnomah County uh, Inverness Jail, two point two six reviews. Clark County, two point eight. Washington County, three point four.
2: Washington County's higher. I still wouldn't eat there.
0: People are really <laughs> taking the piss. The food portions were small at times, but I can do a lot of pull-ups now.
1: Oh. Wait, is that really a thing?
0: Are they verified
2: know? users?
0: Uh, no, I think this is trolling.
1: You made this up.
2: <laughs> <laughs> no also, but-
0: we'll put it in the show notes.
1: John made this up. Yeah. This whole time John's been quiet. He created a Yelp page. <laughs> yeah. Yeah.
2: <laughs> Multiple different profiles, burner accounts, but also had to go review other stuff. So you get to the level where it's like, hey, trust this person. He's
1: been busy. They went to
2: Bamboo Sushi and now they're looking at Inverness Jail and they say it's not the same. <laughs> <laughs>
1: <laughs> well, um, I wanted to talk about my story next, which is from Erica Bolstad, a reporter at Oregon Capital Chronicle. The Oregon Department of Transportation has issued a warning that the state was running out of money to plow roads and could, and this is a quote here, no longer maintain the state's transportation system at the same level as we have in the past. They're basically saying, hey, drivers you're going to be stranded in poor weather because we don't have any money. Just a heads up, everyone. All right. Peace. See you later. And so this was met with some criticism. The first being that they just need to stop spending their money on giant construction projects like widening highways and maybe just focus on maintenance. The other, which is my favorite, is that people are saying that this is all just just a tactic to get more money. Um, For example, Republican Senator Lynn Finley, who represents the entire Southeast quadrant of Oregon, said this warning reminded him of when the National Park Service threatened to shut down popular tourist attractions whenever budget cuts loomed. And he said that to the faces of, like, the transportation folks um, at a November public hearing, by the way. And I, can you just imagine going to a hearing and being like, we don't have any money. Here are the numbers, the irrefutable numbers as to why we have no money. And then someone be like, bullshit. (laughs) 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 And then on top of that, bringing in our National Park Service folks as like some kind of boogeyman. We all know the
2: National Park Service.
1: The Rangers stop. get in here. Oh my God! Ooh, in
2: Oregon,
0: bear spray oh my
2: God! They don't take an oath of office. Those
1: Republicans read the fucking room. <laughs> like Oregon <laughs> is like majority Democrats, and Democrats will never stand for like NP like NPS slander. Like what the- Woodrow <laughs> Wilson would be rolling in his grave. <laughs> like <laughs> Jesus. But anyhow. uh Okay, this is what – I'm sorry. This last thing. This is what he said. He's like, you've Washington-monumented your budget problems, and the public does not trust it. <laughs> mm-hmm. I don't
0: <laughs> understand what that Is that, that a means.
2: euphemism? <laughs> you made a large obelisk?
1: I don't, I don't know. So anyhow, by early December, after this November hearing and all this back and forth, Governor Tina Kotek just was like, all right, here's more money. Like, go nuts. <laughs> here's $19 million to pay for winter maintenance. Yeah. So anyhow, before I go on to just a little bit more of like – Unpacking what happened, do you guys have any any uh,
0: feedback? I mean, like, there's definitely a real problem here, you know, um, but like, yeah, I do wonder specifically the way that this was put out about like plowing roads, how much of that might be the state crying wolf, you know, of picking the one part of the giant sort of transit system and saying they're like oh we can't fund this one part and then getting everybody all up in arms about it, in winter you know? too in winter and then governor kotex swoops in and is like well we found another 20 million dollars so we're going to be able to like plow the roads after all like christmas is saved but mm-hmm. like the entire budget is four billion dollars for like road maintenance in the two-year budget cycle so like you know $20 million, it is really kind of nothing compared to the scope of, like, what this budget is and the scope of, like, the the problems that, like, the, the system could be in in a couple of years, you know, like hundreds of millions of dollars.
2: Not a couple of years. It's already happening. Before we move on from the, the point of telling people that they're going to be stranded, that's wild. That's <laughs> wild to assert to people. And also, you know... Not to get too high horse, but like what a fundamental failure of government. If you're like, hey, so you're snowed in and normally we would come by and get the road out. So at least you go, go, you know, see your neighbor or whatever. But no, we're just deciding we're not going to do that anymore until money, please. <laughs> and I do think it is worth a- asking the question of is
1: everyone acting with the utmost integrity? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Is this 100% what's happening? Are you guys perhaps inferring that they've Washington monumented their budget problems?
0: I, I still don't know what that means. And
1: that the public does not trust it? ODOT? Our is, best can, can department can, can, can in the is, whole is, state? What do you mean? Is,
0: is there like a very clear like meaning to this metaphor that I'm missing? Because you said it twice and I still don't entirely I
1: understand I think it's a <laughs> euphemism. I think it's a euphemism. <laughs> <laughs> well, here's the thing. So, of course, Governor Tina Kotek was like, well, the heck, we're not going to have plowed roads. Here's 20 mil, right? But she's also like, can we also think about, I don't know, alternative ways to to fund this because it's this isn't just an Oregon problem. This is across the country. You know, state transportation departments are giving the same warning that public safety is at risk if lawmakers don't overhaul how road maintenance gets funded. Cuz they're not just like money, please. They're like also like how money. How money here. And so, <laughs> momentarily the main source of funding for our roads is gas tax revenues, which is in rapid decline because of our more efficient cars, electric vehicles, everyone working from home and just driving less in general. But I so I want to but I want to go back to the critics that say states would have the money if they stopped prioritizing these major new projects over their basic maintenance needs, which is what they're like, why are you buying a car before you could pay the rent, that kind of thinking, you know? Mm. So Representative uh, Con Confam, who sits on the Legislator's Joint Committee on Transportation, has proposed a bill called Fix-It First. And that would require the state's Department of Transportation to prioritize maintenance. The agency would have to demonstrate before beginning a new capital project that they wouldn't endanger the state's ability to maintain the current system, which seems, I don't know, Like, something that should be happening already. But yeah, ultimately, the state just needs new revenue. Mm -hmm. So far, Oregon has increased car registration fees, which it's already the highest among in the nation. And that was just to prevent DMV uh, office closures. So they're thinking of raising it again for our roads— which, like, stop. Like, it's already so high. Like, we can't just keep raising these registration fees. And they also talked about indexing gas taxes to inflation, which I think should only happen if they also raise all of minimum wage to, like, keep up with inflation, which would be twenty one fifty an hour. Like, taxes aren't indexed to inflation. And If we did that, at a certain point, it just seems like theft. (laughs) Like, I know I'm just a bougie Bolshevik over here, but that seems gross. Like, you're just like, no, you guys don't get anything that's raised to inflection except for what you owe us. But anyhow, Oregon lawmakers are scheduled to take up this new transportation funding in their 2025 session. So it's not like they're just like, we should do something about it. Like, it's scheduled to happen, but if nothing is done we do face like a 720 million transportation deficit by 2027.
0: Yeah, you know, I mean, and, and I think this is the way the system has always worked. But as we transition away from gasoline-powered automobiles as being, like, a central force, like, you think it's bad now? Wait until 10 years when all the, you know, billions of dollars of infrastructure investment in electric vehicles actually gets into place. Like, it's going to be like trying to fund electricity by taxing candle wax, you know? So there is going to be, like, a need for a much bigger change in the way that these systems are funded, you know? I mean, there's all this talk of, uh, you know, doing, like, mileage based road user fees which are called vmts which like i'm sure people will hate if it happens but it means okay you drive 100 miles on a road you get taxed like some portion of that 100 miles um there's places in europe that are experimenting with this but like ultimately as a society not just as oregon but as a freaking world we're going to need to figure out a way to fund road development that isn't tied to the price of gasoline.
2: Yeah. Well, I think also the whole tying road funding to gas taxes, whoever came up with that, it was so brilliant. You know, we've really (laughs) patted ourselves on the back for like, hey, the people that are using the thing pay the most to help make the thing happen. Like that makes a lot of sense. We put it in all the political science textbooks and we said, this is so smart. But now, and so it's been sort of like irrefutable for this whole time. And now that conversation is coming back up. I think that it's, it's an overhaul that's going to have to happen. And ultimately, you know, thinking about tax fairness. Like there's a lot of different lenses that you can look at that through. But like you were mentioning, Claudia, about raising registration fees, that's flat applied to everybody. Mm -hmm. So regardless of whether, you know, you're like driving the entire state every week, or if you are just somebody who pays your registration because you don't want to get a ticket for parking outside your house, everybody has to contribute the same amount. And there's, you know, a, a pretty compelling argument to be made that
1: that's that's not fair. What if we just like this is going to sound so crazy, but what if what we if, just
0: stay home? What if we just what if we just <laughs> what if we just get rid of the roads, mm-hmm.
1: started using public transportation and rode our bikes? I don't know. That sounds so funny. Well, that's stupid, the other thing right? is it's like, that sounds so aren't we
2: trying to incentivize people to not drive <laughs> yeah. in that
1: part of it? Yeah, <laughs> I don't I mean, know. There's a reason. It's like all the, everyone's desires of how the world should work constantly. Like if you're just like, what is the conflict? It is that. It is that at one point someone's like, people should drive less. Let's create the infrastructure for that. Sure, and. And then now people are like, well, well, now we need more roads. And then there's just like, ah, there's not enough money to do all the things we all want to do at the same time. <laughs> to just not to be so on the nose, but pick a lane. Oh, you know? <laughs> pick a <laughs> lane, oh. Oregon, of how we're gonna deal with this and just like maybe commit
2: <laughs> rather yeah. than like so pandering to
1: everyone and making everyone unhappy, you know? Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, but before we go, I just wanted to give a shout out to the Portland Mercado. They experienced a fire a couple of days ago, and it just decimated the main building, which include this bar, barrio, uh, and 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 it cut off power to all of the food carts. So it's really affecting everyone, and let me just tell you, before Portland Mercado, that area had close to nothing. And so that place is a third space for so many people in that neighborhood. And um, my mother was a small business owner. And just the thought, a lot of people think if you own a business, you must be like flush with cash. You are not. You are living day to day. And so this is a big deal. We're going to definitely put some links um, in the uh, show notes if you want to donate to some of the The uh, business owners there, especially Chris Shimamoto, Barrio was like kind of the center of that whole place because it was the bar. And so people would go there specifically for the nights he would put on. And he attracted so much business to that pod, you know?
0: Yeah, totally. Such a bummer. I mean, you know, and as we talk about like putting billions of dollars into systems that don't work, like here's a thing that was put together with very little money by people who just cared a lot, you know, and who put the sweat equity into making not just like a business that worked, but like a real community center. Like that is Mm -hmm. the type of This is the type of thing that we should be supporting in our region.
1: Yeah. Yeah. Well, sorry to end on such a a sour note, you guys. Um, Mm, Not sour. Yeah. It's just kind of sad. But if I were to give you a survey now, would you guys come back again? One, two, four. How was your experience?
0: Wait, this is a one through four survey?
1: Yeah, like four stars.
0: Oh, okay, stars. Uh, Four four stars. stars. Because I was thinking that like, like it's usually like a one through five. that you're trying to like juice the system.
1: I am, I am. So if I get like a low two, it's still like out of four. I mean, we're still batting pretty good here,
2: halfway there.
1: So one through four. How was your experience on CityCast Portland's Friday Roundup? Good. Three point eight. Okay perfect wonderful
2: (laughs) I wanted to give you something realistic I didn't want people to think that this was a rehearsed bit where we were all going
1: to say how good it is We genuine reactions (laughs) Well, well thank you so much you guys for hanging out with me today thank you
0: yeah thanks Claudia
1: That's all for today here on CityCast Portland. Thanks so much for listening. Our executive producer is John Atariani. Our producers this week were Julia Fiaglioni and Lizzie Goldsmith. Our newsletter editor is Rachel Monaghan. And our host is me, Claudia Meza. Original music by Jenny Conley and Steven Drizos. Additional music by Epidemic Sound and All the Kimonos. We'll be back Monday morning with more from around the city. Until then, see you at Slims.